times of the men's meeting as well. Uh, we're going to take our Bibles and turn to the book of Psalm. Psalm chapter 4 is where we're going to go this morning. Psalm chapter 4. Preaching, for me, does not come naturally. God certainly has done a lot of work on me uh, with preaching. I remember my early years in college and the church where uh, I served in. I, I went back uh, to the people in that church and I said, thank you so much for your patience in those early days of preaching. Uh, and certainly there's much growth uh, yet to uh, be had in my preaching. I continue to try to work on that. But uh, when I think about preaching... Uh, there's a quote that just so grips my heart, and uh, I have it written in my Bible. And uh, you've heard me say it before, some of you have heard me say this quote before, but it's by Matthew Simpson, uh, who was a preacher in the 1800s. He said, his throne, talking about the preacher, his throne is the pulpit, he stands in Christ's stead. His message is the word of God. Around him are immortal souls. The Savior, unseen, is beside him. The Holy Spirit broads over the congregation. Angels gaze upon the scene, and heaven and hell await the issue. What associations, and what a vast responsibility. And uh, that quote grips me many times before I get up to preach. And we come to a passage of Scripture, uh, that a verse that has been pressed in my heart for many years. Uh, and uh, not till recently have I worked on uh, preaching a message out of this, but uh, we're in Psalm chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse number 1. We'll read the entire chapter. It says, Psalm 4, verse number 1, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Aren't you glad that the Lord hears us when we pray? Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing Selah? But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. The text this morning is verse number four. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. Offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart, more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for how you use your word. Lord, how you've used it in so many services at Faith Baptist. Just reminiscing with Adam this morning of uh, how that uh, I came to know the Savior here in this place and uh, baptized and called to preach, surrendered my life to you and preached my first message. And it was all revolved around your word. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word stands. I thank you that forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And as we have opened up your word, I pray that you'd open up our hearts. Lord, there are so many things that distract us. Maybe there's some, some burdens, some pressures that are upon our minds right now. Would you just, uh, just take that away? Lord, any, 
any uh, thing that's getting our attention, I pray, Lord, that you would just take that away and, Lord, arrest our attention with you here in these uh, next moments that we have together. Lord, I pray that you would exalt yourself. Lord, that we would be people that stand in awe and sin not. Lord, may you uh, do a reviving work in each of our hearts. For your honor and your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. I remember one of the best uh, gifts my wife and I have ever been given was a trip to Israel. And I remember going there that first uh, night, and my uh, pastor says, uh, now, Tim, you're going to have these wow moments and, uh, as you're there touring Israel. And the first uh, night we were there, we had just a, a little bit of daylight, and they said, uh, why don't we go over to Joppa, and uh, we'll get this in tonight, and we'll be able to do some other things tomorrow. And so we pushed ourselves, we go to Joppa, and we go to Simon the Tanner's house. Uh, now, as I'm reading Acts chapter 10, we're reading that passage, and it is the vision that, uh, that is given to Peter to not just reach the, Gen- the, the Jews, but also to reach the Gentiles, and he was on Simon the Tanner's house. And so it says there's Simon the Tanner's house by the seaside. And as I'm reading in the scriptures about Simon the Tanner's house and the seaside, I look up and there's Simon the Tanner's house and the Mediterranean Sea. What I was reading in the scriptures, I was seeing with my own eye. Someday what we read in the scriptures, we're going to see with our own eye. Our faith is going to become sight. Right after that, we went down to the port. And when I think of Joppa, I think of Jonah. Jonah fled, tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. He left from Joppa, that, and there's only one port, and so you're right there, and they talk about that story of Jonah. I remember we got back into the bus, and Megan said, isn't it interesting? We heard two stories about God's call uh, of, uh, uh, you know, to Peter and then to Jonah. One, he was obedient, and the other one was disobedient. And uh, it was just a challenge for our hearts. You know, we got to walk by faith and be obedient. And, uh, and I thought, wow, that's amazing. And then we went to, of course, Sea of Galilee and many other places and, and being there in the Garden of Gethsemane, being there in the Garden Tomb. And as I'm there, I'm in awe of these different places that I've read about in the scriptures, but I'm seeing it with my own eyes. But I'm also watching some of the people that live there. Some of the people that walk by it all, you know, every day. They're not in awe. They've gotten used to living there gotten used to, to seeing the garden tomb, gotten used to being there in the garden of Gethsemane. They've lost their awe. And I wonder here this morning, have you lost your awe of God? Or have you gotten used to God? The title of the message is, have you lost your awe? Have you lost your awe of God? He says here, stand in awe. Now the word uh, awe means to tremble, to quake, uh, to, uh, to be excited. Uh, this is uh, to be disquieted, and and, uh, and this is something that that uh, God just to uh, really arrest your attention. Psalm ninety nine verse one says, "The Lord reigneth; let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubs; let the earth be moved." Oh, we've lost our awe of God. We've lost our fear of God. Uh, that we uh, we go through our day, and we don't even think about Him. Psalm ten verse four says, "The wicked through the pride of his countenance." Uh, uh, God is not in all his thoughts. And, and one of the uh, girls in our group, uh, we're asking for different prayer requests. And, and one of the things that she wants us to pray for for her is that she would have God on her thoughts all throughout the day, that she'd meditate on the Lord all throughout the day. I was praying for her with that this morning. You know, we, uh, we ought to have God in our thoughts throughout the day, but so often we neglect him. He's not in our thoughts. Uh, we've lost our awe of him. 
Psalm 33, verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. We have uh, uh, the men's meeting coming up in November. Uh, I've been invited to another men's meeting in uh, August uh, up to Medford, Oregon. Because of our men's meeting, God uh, used that to start a men's meeting in the church in Medford, Oregon uh, in August. And they have a a couple hundred men go to that meeting. And so uh, the pastor Lloyd Reeds asked uh, us to come up, asked me to preach at that men's meeting here in a few more weeks. And, uh, and I'm thankful for how God has used the men's meeting that we have there in November. Ten years that we've done it. And uh, now we have one more. Eleven years is going to be it. And, uh, and the key to it all has been prayer. And uh, for many years we would meet, uh, uh, starting in July or August, we'd meet on Monday nights and we would pray. And I would pray for those prayer times and ask God, how does he want us to pray? And, and sometimes it was just a couple of us, sometimes about 10 of us that we were praying. And I remember a couple of years ago, we, uh, were, it was a Monday night right before, the, the last Monday night before the men's meeting uh, as our last time to pray. And, and so uh, I remember God had just taken over our prayer time. There's about 10 of us here. And it kind of got put back to me. And I remember praying and I said, God, if I'm going to be a hindrance to this meeting, take me out. I said it. I meant it, and I know that he can. And when I said that, the fear of God so struck my heart. Now, it was like, humanly speaking, God grabbed me up by my shirt collar, put me up against the wall, and said, I'm in charge. This is my meeting. This is nothing about you. It's nothing about Evangelist Tim Schmidt. This is my meeting. I'm in charge. Now, I was planning on preaching that year. And, uh, and I said, God, and I meant it. If God, if, if I'm going to be a hindrance, take me out. I didn't know what was going to happen if... I was going to get in a car accident or what, you know? Am I even going to be able to show up for the, uh, for the men's meeting? And uh, that next day, God took it out of my heart to preach. And he says, you're not speaking this year. I'm putting you aside. And, uh, and then one of the preachers called me later on that afternoon and said, hey, Brother Schmidt, can I switch with somebody on Friday? And, and, uh, and I said, yeah, you can have my spot. And so, you know, <clears throat> that year I did not preach. And God, I'm so thankful that he let me come to that meeting. And that so struck the fear of God in me. You know, I'm, uh, uh, so often we, we think that, uh, that God is expendable, but we're not. Uh, no, we are expendable. Uh, you know, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. He's the most important, th- important person to have, and the audience uh, is Him. And so often we go through this motion, and, and, and we, we lose our fear of God. We lose the awe of God. Now, go over to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. What does God look like? What will it be like to be in his presence? Now John describes what God looks like in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he that judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Brother Comfort Ambassador says, you show me how much you love this book, I'll show you how much you love Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the Word of God. And the, and the armies which were in heaven followed upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he, and he, and he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest and wrath of Almighty God. 
And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm so thankful for that. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. You know, someday we're going to see him face to face. Isaiah chapter 40 says in verse number 10, uh, or verse number 9, uh, O Zion, thou that bringest good tidings, get thee up into a high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Who hath measured the water in the hollow of his hand and meted out the heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in the measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in the balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor hath taught him? You think about the, uh, that, what, that description just right there of God and he says he measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. I mean, the hollow of your hand, you could hold about a little more than a, a teaspoon of water. And you think of all the waters in this world. I remember flying to New Zealand a couple of years ago, and my friend who I went to school with, Dave Smith, missionary there, he was really excited to show us the, his favorite uh, uh, place in the coast of New Zealand. It's a beautiful area. And we're walking around, and he says, Tim, you don't seem to be very impressed and I said, well, Dave, honestly, it looks like California. Uh, and I said, and Dave, it's the same Pacific Ocean. But then as I thought that, I'm like, wait a minute. I flew 13 hours over the same ocean. <laughs> uh, you know, the same Pacific Ocean. A few weeks ago, we saw the, well, many times, we saw the Atlantic Ocean. You think, and that's just two of the oceans. All of the water in the hollow of his hand. Behold your God. <laughs> Behold how great he is, how majestic he is, uh, how, how mighty he is. Who had directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, taught him? With whom took he counsel, whom instructed him, and taught him in the paths of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are but a drop of a bucket. Oh no, the nations are so much bigger than that, God. God, you don't understand how big America is. You don't understand how big China is. You don't understand how big India is. You don't understand all of these. They're not, they're, no, they're, they're much bigger than just a drop in a bucket. Oh, we have our eyes upon those nations. We don't have our eyes upon our God. God says, no, those nations are but a drop in a bucket. They're nothing compared to God. Uh, he says, there is a, uh, they're accounted as a small, bounce, or a small dust of bounce. Behold, he take out of the isles is a very little thing. All nations before him are as nothing. They're accounted him less than nothing in vanity. To whom will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare unto him? Go back to Psalm chapter 4. You see this, we have this, uh, this uh, admonition to stand in awe of our God. Uh, and when we, uh, so often when we're not in awe of God, we're in awe of something else. A.W. Tozer said, Christ can never be known without a sense of awe and fear accompanying the knowledge. No one who knows him intimately can ever be flippant in his presence. It was Leonard Ravenhill that said, we don't, in America, we don't just come boldly to the throne of grace, we lounge all over it. We've lost our awe of God. In the churches, we've lost our awe of God. We come flippantly in the presence of God. 
when he is majestic, he is holy, he is high and lifted up. There is no one greater, there is no one higher than him. He is exalted as head above all. My favorite chapter, I believe, in the Bible is Revelation chapter 5. And it says, in verse number 8, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. Now, I, I love music, and when we get to heaven, we're going to enjoy music. Uh, maybe you're not that musical, and I don't know what the, the music sounds like, but here's the words. Here's the words of the song. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And it's made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne of the beast. And the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy. Oh, he's worthy. Worthy of what? Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, blessing, and honor, and glory, and power. Be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. He is worthy to receive this power, uh, to to receive the the riches, the wisdom, the strength. Uh, As uh, earlier this year with the revival meetings with the Garraways, he talked about this passage And he says, you you think of, okay, to receive, what's going to have to happen in order for someone to receive something? You're going to have to release it. If I were to give somebody my iPad, I'm going to have to let it go. (laughs) Uh, You know, I can't just just hold on to it. And yet you and I in our lives, we, uh, uh, we hold on to these things when God says, no, I'm worthy of it all. I'm worthy of every day. I'm worthy of every breath. I'm worthy of every moment of your life. He says there uh, that he's worthy to receive power. Uh, The power is our ability, uh, my full ability, with no leftovers, that I'm all in. Of course, we're commanded to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, It is a command that we would be all in. When you and I are not all in, we're losing. We're walking in the flesh. No, we've got to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You've got to be all in. It's full surrender. It's, uh, uh, it's nothing between my soul and the Savior. He says, I, uh, God, you are worthy of my power, of all of my ability. Then he says, my riches. God, you're worthy to receive what enriches me, my full abundance. Of course, we think of tithe, but God owns everything. God's the one that gives you the strength to get up in the morning, to work the job, to get the money, to do all of those things. Uh, I'll, as I'm thinking about it right now, I remember uh, many years ago, we had vacation Bible school here. I think it was the first one that Megan and I had done here, and, and uh, we picked up a, a kid, and, and he, uh, we, I said, is there anybody else you can uh, invite? And he says, yeah, my cousin. And so uh, he, uh, we go pick up his cousin, and, and uh, we had the penny offering, and so I give him some money for the penny offering. I give him a Bible to be used, and, and so we, uh, we go through the whole thing. You know, he's got a visitor, and, and at the end of the night, he was number one in points. Uh, and so I'm, we're driving him back, and, uh, and he's just bragging the whole time. He says, you see that? He says, who's in first place? I am. He says, I had a Bible. I had the money. I had a visitor. You know, and he's talking, and he's just bragging, bragging, bragging about how he's in first place. Nobody has more points than I do. And then he leaves, never says one thank you. And I start driving off, and I think, that turkey, 
Uh, doesn't he know uh, that I was the one that gave him that Bible? Doesn't he know that I'm the one that gave him that money? I'm the one that picked up his cousin. I'm the one that knocked on his door, invited him to the church, and you know, invited him to vacation Bible school. I'm the one that dropped him off. If it wasn't for me, he wouldn't have any of those things. And as I'm complaining and griping about that, uh, the Holy Spirit then just quietly speaks to my heart and says, Tim, that's what you do to me. And not one thank you. <laughs> and I thought, it's true. I mean, he's the one that gives us the ability. You know, this could be the last message I'll ever get to speak. God could stop giving me a voice. He could just stop giving me a breath. You are one heartbeat away from eternity. I mean, it, it was what was talking about in Sunday school. Uh, Brother Adam, he, uh, Revelation, uh, James chapter 4, verse 14. Whereas you know not what should be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanisheth away. And this, uh, we think that we have so much control, and yet we don't. It's God that's behind it. It's God that's given us the ability to do these things. It is he that enriches us. And here, you know, he's saying, God, I'm going to give you my power. I'm going to give you all the riches. And then he says, wisdom. This is the knowledge. This is uh, finding out God's will. They were willing and had a mind to work, Nehemiah says. Sometimes people, they say, well, I don't, I don't want to do that ministry because I really don't know how to do it. It's not a strength of mine. It's more of a weakness. Well, why don't you learn? Why don't you grow? Why don't you try to get better in those areas? Uh, you know, make it a strength. Uh, and, and so often we limit what God wants to do through us because we're not giving, us, giving him our wisdom. Say, okay, God, I'm, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to grow in this area. Uh, I'm willing to do the hard thing. And then my strength, my full energy. I'm giving it all that I have. I'm going the second mile. He says, God, you have all my strength. And then honor, glory, and blessing. This is a life filled with reverence. Uh, this is uh, a full adoration. A life filled with relationship with God. Sharing all that God has done. And then he's worthy of, of everything. My entire life until my final breath. And it's, uh, he says, you're worthy of all of these things. And, and something that just so has gripped me the last several years is Isaac Watts' last verse of, of uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And he says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. God, if I had everything to give you uh, and, and all creation for what you have done for me, if I had everything at my disposal, God, that were a present far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Uh, he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of every day. You know, if he only saved us for eternity and never did another thing for us, never gave us one more blessing, he is worthy of every day of our life to be loved, served, and obeyed. If he never did anything else for us but just rescued us from an eternity in the lake of fire, and yet he pours out numerous blessings. He's so good to us. He's so kind to us. He takes care of us. He watches over us. He's with us. We're going to learn some of those things uh, this week in, in VBS. He does so much for us. And yet you and I, you know what we are? We don't stand in awe. We don't stand in awe of what he's done. We're just so prideful and so selfish. Oh, we're doing these things. We're in first place. And there's not even a thank you back to God for what he has done for us. We're, instead of being one of the nine that that uh, uh, wouldn't come back to say thank you, or, or one of the ten that come back to say thank you, we're one of the nine that say, no, we're just going to go off and, and uh, do our own thing. We don't stand in awe. 
You see, if, if we've lost our awe of God, and the, law, and, and the basis of the awe of God is the holiness of God. Isaiah, he got the awe of God in Isaiah chapter 6. He says that the post of the door moved of the, hymn, the voice, of the voice of him that cried. Why would the posts of an animate door move, and yet the hearts of us remain motionless at the holiness of God? Where is the tremble and the quaking in our own hearts for the holiness of God? And uh, you think about your salvation. Uh, I mean, uh, I remember one of the prayer times we had for the tent meeting with uh, pastors. Uh, the Lord gave me one verse or one word, and it was gospel. And I said, "Okay, Lord, what do I do with gospel?" And we gathered here in this in this middle and uh, in a circle. And I don't know, there's probably about seven of us uh, preachers. And and I and I said, uh, "You know what, guys?" He said, I said, "I've never. I know a couple of your salvation testimonies, but I don't know some of the other ones. Why don't we just share about what how Christ saved us?" And as we began to share our salvation testimonies, I mean, you, you wouldn't imagine the pressure and, uh, and the, the war and the things the pastors go through. I mean, just hearing from the Chapmans, I mean, I understand that. Uh, the spiritual warfare, uh, I get that. And, and uh, the pastors, they go through those things, and there's so much pressure, uh, you know, these days, and, and the stress and so on. And yet, as we're going through our salvation testimonies, it just so humbled us all, and it just came to the point of, you know what? We're saved. Uh, you know, we, we know Christ is our Savior. And it did our hearts, all of our hearts, so good to just think about the gospel again, to think about how Christ has saved us. Uh, he is worthy of our life just for the fact that he saved us. Have you lost your awe of your salvation? Have you lost your awe of God's word? Uh, uh, Brother Maxwell, you met him this last time we were here uh, uh, when he came, and, and uh, Brother Max had a great impact in my life. He was a youth pastor and, and uh, then went to Arizona and was a youth pastor of a large church that had over 100 teenagers. He said, I was, as I'm you know, uh, going through these things, and on Wednesday nights and, and teaching the teens, he said, I just felt there was such a complacency, an apathy to God's word. Maybe you find that your heart's like that right now. Again, if you have an apathy towards God's word, you have an apathy towards God. <laughs> Uh, you, Jesus Christ is the word of God. And so God gave him an idea. There was an old tattered Bible that was thrown away in, in the trash. And he put a, 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 picked up that Bible and began to cut pages out of the scriptures. And that, that next Wednesday night, as uh, the, the youth came in, he gave them one page of scripture. And he says, for the next week, he says, I don't want you to read anything else but this one page of scripture. And so uh, he says that next week, he says, the whole youth group was a buzz. He says, everything changed. He says, they came in and uh, they were all excited. Uh, they said, uh, Brother Maxwell, uh, you know, I, you gave me a page of scripture and, uh, and, I, and I, you know, I, I, I poured in on it and, and studied it out. And, and it, you know, it just meant so much just to have one page of scripture. Another one says, uh, Brother Maxwell, you gave me a portion where it was the, the story was cut. I didn't know what happened to the, to the rest of it. And so I cheated. Uh, I got out my Bible because I wanted to know what happened to that story. Uh, and so, but they got such a hunger for God's word. You know, there are people in our world that would desire, would love to have just a page of the scriptures. And yet you and I, we have multiple copies of God's word. And we treat it so lightly. We treat it so flippantly. Have you spent time in his word today? Do you love his word it's all Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord God, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. And I want God's attention. 
I want God to look upon me, but to this man will I look. To him that is of a contrite, poor and a contrite spirit, and that trembleth at my word. When's the last time you trembled at the word of God? One of my prayers that I pray to the Lord is, Lord, help me to, 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 to see the weight of the scriptures, of the truth of the scriptures. I don't want to just be flippant with God's word. I want to, and, and so many times I am. I'm preaching this message because I need it. God knows. Uh, but so often we, we're flippant to God's word, helping to know the weight of the scripture, like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he should wreck thy paths. Great verse. I've known it all my life. But it's a command. It's not just a suggestion. If I'm not trusting God with all my heart, I'm sinning. If I'm leaning to my own understanding, I've sinned against him. And when we sin against him, we've, we've lost our awe. Uh, when we lose our awe, we sin. It says there's stand in awe. Have you lost the awe, of, the awe of God's word? Or what about even coming to church? Have you lost the awe of coming to church? It's done my heart so good just to be here today. Uh, I, I've seen so I read the, the 21 states we've been. I've been a lot of places. I've met a lot of people. Uh, but this place is special. Uh, you know, I know all of you. It's familiar faces. And, and uh, it's just been on my heart so good to be here today. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, let us consider one another provoking to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you say the day approaching. Have you lost your awe of coming to church? That you get to hear the word of God preached. You get to sing songs, uh, get to proclaim truths through music about our God. We get to fellowship and encourage one another and, you know, tell them as I've already had today, you know, I've been praying for you. Oh, how that helped my heart today. Uh, and, and to have, you know, that, that encouragement, that provoking and to, to love and to good works. Have you lost your awe of coming to church, to being together? Of course, COVID shook us up, didn't it? Uh, and, and yet we can fall back into that complacency. And losing our awe that we get to come and gather together. We are the called out assembly. This is a family, as it were, uh, uh, the family of God. And so we lose our awe for many things. But if we lose our awe of God, we're going to be in awe of something else. When we lose our awe of God, we're going to be in awe of something else. We can be in awe of bitterness. That bitterness can just consume us. We can go through all of the things, how it got hurt, how we were hurt. We can be awe of our pride. We can be awe and lust and anger and fear. We can be consumed in all of those things instead of being consumed with God. Proverbs 16, 6 says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Have you lost your hatred for sin? Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Uh, Psalm 119, 113, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. You see, if you have an awe of God, you're going to have a hatred for sin. You're going to hate your sin. Another thing I ask God uh, as I go through my questions and things, I'll say, Lord, am I losing my hatred for sin? And very much, more times than not, I, yes, I'm losing my hatred for sin. God, help me to hate my sin as you hate it. Help me to treat it as you treat it. Help me to, uh, uh, to, to, to call it what you call it. I mean, in my sin, the worst thing about my sin is not what it does to me. It's not what it does to others. It's what it does to him. It's, it's grieving him. It's quenching him. That's the worst thing about our sin. It breaks that fellowship with God. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed. What do you think about when you go to bed at night? 
Now, somewhere we've gotten into the mindset that we just need to seek God in the morning and then we're fine the rest of the day. What does the Bible say? And Psalm 1, 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and, doth he, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. For some of us, we need not just to seek God in the morning, we need to seek him at night as well. We need to uh, be, have our, our minds upon him. Uh, we need to step it up and meditate on him at night. Commune with him upon our bed. Pray, think about scripture. Uh, meditate on those things. Maybe you're like me, and when I go to bed, my mind's going a mile a minute. It takes me a while to, to get to sleep. Uh, and so we can think about all kinds of things. We need to turn our thoughts into God. A preacher many years ago, I want to say probably in the 80s or uh, early 90s, he said, God was convicting my heart. He says, I had a, an addiction to late night television. And he says, it, it was sin against God. I was watching these things. And, and, uh, and he says, God began to convict my heart about it and, and, and says, you need to get rid of the TV. You need to throw it out. And so he says, it took me about a week. But he says, finally, I threw that TV out. And what God wanted me to do is to throw the TV out and to spend that hour or two with him at night. He says, as I began to not just seek God in the morning, I began to seek him at night. God began to change, uh, change me, change our church. And, you, and God used him in a fantastic way, in, in many ways. I just uh, was listening to somebody the other day who came to know Christ as Savior through that man. And, and, you know, so often we only seek God in the morning. We need to seek God in the morning, but we also need to seek him throughout the day. Seek him at night. Meditate upon him at night. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. The last time you were still before God. Oh, we're so busy. We're so distracted. Uh, we have so many things in our minds. When's the last time you were still before God? We, uh, Ian Bounds said with the invention of trains, I'm afraid that, our, that we live in such a fast-paced society that it's affected our devotional life. He wrote that in the 1800s. What would he say about things today? We've lost the art of meditation. We've lost the art of being still before God. You have such noise in your life. There's so many things that are clamoring for your attention, and God says, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the heathen. I'll be exalted in the earth. Oh, we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus, that the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Instead, we've got our eyes upon the things of this world, and our eyes upon Jesus have grown strangely dim. What does being in awe produce? He says there in verse number four, commune with your own heart upon your bed. And be still. It produces a new quality of life. It produces peace. Uh, people would desire to buy peace if you could buy it at Walmart. Uh, it would be sold out. If you could buy peace at, on Amazon, it would be sold out. <laughs> if you could buy peace on eBay, they wouldn't be able to carry it. Uh, people would buy, would pay a lot of money for peace. I think of Michael Jackson. He just wanted to go to sleep and, and overdosed on those pills and died. What did he want? He wanted peace. And yet it's God. Who gives peace? He gives it. You don't have to buy it. He gives it to you. He gives peace. Psalm Isaiah 26, 3, that will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind, again, our meditation is stayed upon thee. Because he trusteth in thee, trust ye in the Lord forever. From the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Oh, being, uh, having that awe of God produces a new quiet quality of life, but then it produces a new quietness of life. It brings contentment. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mentioned this quote, I think, earlier this year, uh, but actor Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of so that they can see that is not the answer. 
Oh, the world's in awe of riches. The world's in awe of fame, but it does not bring the peace and the contentment that they seek. It's only through God, it's only through being in awe of God that we can have true peace and contentment. Misplaced awe keeps us perennially dissatisfied. We'll never be satisfied with life until we're in awe with God. We get in awe of a job and our work and we get busy doing all of those things and then at some point we get frustrated that things aren't working out the way that, we're, that we wanted them to because we're selfish, we're prideful, we're only thinking of us and we're not in the awe of God. When I am in the awe of God, everything changes in my life. My holiness, my passion, not wanting anything to defile, not wanting anything to quench God's spirit. I don't want anything to grieve it. I'm very sensitive to those things. When I'm not in the awe of God, I'm flippant. I'm careless. It doesn't matter. I was, uh, uh, Pastor Evertson was at a meeting in Tennessee a couple of years ago, and he said there was a great move of God in this meeting. It was just an unusual move of God. And he says the invitation was given, and he says right after that, he says that the, the uh, song leader came up and sang a rousing song, and he says immediately it just quenched the spirit. He didn't understand that God was, was working in an unusual way. Another friend of mine, he was at that meeting. And he says, Tim, that pre- your preacher friend was right. He says, God was working in an unusual way. And he says, it was after that invitation that the spirit was quenched. He says, but Tim, I helped quench the spirit. He says, God told me to go forward and I, I didn't do it. He says, because I was prideful. God wanted me to go forward. But I had such pride in my heart. I'd said, no, I'm not going to do it. He says, Tim, I helped to quench the spirit that night. God wants to revive us. God wants it more than us. He wants to work in your life. He wants to do exceeding abundantly of all that you could ask or think. He wants to do so many things. The problem is not with God. The problem is us. Have you lost your awe? We lose our awe of God. So many, we, we, we become in awe of sin. Stand in awe and sin not. Uzziah, he, got, he lost the awe of God's presence. And God smote him with leprosy. King Saul lost the awe of God's principle of obedience and lost his kingdom. Nadab and Abihu got used to God's provision, lost the awe of God's provision, and were burned up at the spot. Uzziah got used to God's pattern and died on the spot. Samson lost the awe of God's power and was reduced to an object of sport for his pagan enemies and died a suicide. Have you gotten used to God? Have you lost your awe? Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed 